The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. If you want to follow along, it's in the New Testament, page 59. I'll be reading from Luke 2, 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising for many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the mother of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and praying night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kim. Luke uh, knew Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so if you wonder where do the stories in Luke, uh, the, the Christmas story, for instance, that we most uh, often uh, go to in the Gospels is the Christmas story as told in Luke uh, in, in chapter uh, 2, uh, which uh, the passage that uh, Carol just read to us is not often included in that story because it happens a few days later. It happens as Jesus is being presented as an infant at the temple, and, uh, and these two prophets, a prophet and a prophetess, uh, come and uh, uh, seeing the baby Jesus are moved by the Spirit to proclaim who he is and what is to come. And so uh, as, we, as we come into this uh, today, I, I want you to remember that much of what Luke tells us about the, uh, the childhood of Jesus is coming from Mary, a firsthand witness to what was, was happening uh, which makes it very interesting because it says that, in essence, the Gospel of Luke uh, and many of these memories come from women. I'm just going to say this as a little bit of a preface to what we're talking about here today because uh, there are Christians and there are churches uh, that do not believe that women have a role in teaching or in preaching. Uh, when I was growing up, the church I went to, the women could teach the children but could not teach adults, uh, adult men or even the teenage uh, teenagers. They were very restricted on that. And I don't want to question, we all have those areas of scripture that we disagree on. I'm not going to uh, question their, uh, uh, their faith and, and, and the validity of what they believe. But to say that there is so much overwhelming evidence in the scriptures that women do have a voice that God speaks through. Here is a prophetess, Anna, in the temple of all places. 
sharing with people who this child is. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, you have Philip, uh, who uh, is one of the first uh, uh, appointed uh, deacons of the church. It's the first time that the apostles went out and said, we need others to help us. And so they choose seven holy men from among them, including Stephen, it's the first one listed, and then Philip. And then later, in a, uh, later on in Acts, you read that Philip had four virgin uh, daughters. And those four uh, virgin daughters were prophetesses. So they also uh, spoke uh, out of the Spirit of God. And so, um, uh, just ignore what's going on up there with the screen. I'm not sure what, uh, uh, what happened there. Okay, we may have to turn in our hymnals for that final hymn. But, but you have other instances where, uh, where Paul, on his journeys, uh, encounters women, such as one named Lydia, who uh, he begins a church in her home and other places where he thanks these women and thanks different women for their roles in the church and sometimes using the term uh, uh, that refers back to them being deacons or servants of the church. So women have a great role to play in the church. And uh, what that role is, people may disagree on. Uh, and, and this is a little bit off subject here, which I tend to do, uh, although it's on this topic, but not necessarily right in with our scripture today. Um, The one scripture I hear over and over is when Paul says to the Corinthian church, let the women keep silent in the church. Now, first of all, I know that all things are possible with God, but, uh, and and growing up in a church which severely restricted women on their teaching and preaching, I will tell you this, it was when the women met in the parking lot after church that things got decided. I saw a lot of that with my mother. So, uh, but uh, now, where, where was I going with that? Oh, women keeping silent in the church. If you read that whole section there, and I realize people can, again, disagree on this, it appears to me that what happened, you had a local situation in Corinth where some women got a little out of hand. And as the preacher was preaching... They were back in the, I hate to pick on you guys in the back, but they were back in the back and they were having conversations and the conversations got a little loud. You ever heard somebody, they weren't aware how they were being heard? And it, and it was disrupting the worship and the, and the time of the church together. And, and, and things are going on. And so Paul writes back to the Corinthians, he says, let the women, I think saying these women, let these women keep silent in the church. They need to... To, to do that out of respect for the assembly. We don't need chaos within the assembly of the saints. And uh, as I said, that's, I, I think we have to be very careful where we just pull something out and say, okay, he said, let the women keep silent. That applies to every woman, woman for eternity because there are so many places, such as in Luke chapter 2 or in the book of Acts, where women did speak out. And thank God that women spoke out when Jesus rose from the dead and they, they went to the tomb and it was empty and they went to the disciples and these men didn't want to believe them. They had to have evidence, but these women were the first evangelists of the church. And also the woman at the well, who Jesus, uh, who leaves after she has that encounter with Jesus, where he identifies uh, her her uh, number of husbands that she had had and everything, and he talks to her about uh, worshiping God and true worship, and uh, she goes out and tells everybody. So just uh, that's a little aside; it takes up a lot of time, but I, I think it's so important, especially as we have Shauna across the street as a as a pastor and preacher, because believe it or not, when she first went uh, across the street uh, appointed to pastor there, she did have some resistance from some folks who didn't want a woman pastor. And so uh, 
I haven't, you know, I, I'm a man, so I'm, I'm, I'm that uh, privileged class of people who didn't have to, to go through that. But I, I very much sympathize and support uh, uh, the folks such as Shauna who had a little bit more to overcome. All I had to overcome was my poor preaching. So, um, When I read this, I started thinking about one particular aspect, because in a sermon I can't cover a whole lot of things, but, I, but this one particular aspect of it was the role that Anna, a widow, was given by God in the life of Jesus, that her story is told in the Word of God. What a privilege that is, in contrast to her status within the society and the culture that she was in. The status of a widow was very low. You know, uh, uh, even up in the, the uh, 19th century in, in England and in, in this country and other places, if, if a woman's husband died, she was not necessarily entitled to anything in the inheritance. Uh, why? Because if a man had had property and everything, how could a woman manage it? How could she wisely take those things? It couldn't be entrusted to a woman, so it needs to go to a man. And so the inheritance laws back then were pretty cruel. And oftentimes a woman, when she became a widow, she was dependent upon the charity of others. And if she didn't receive that charity, uh, she might end up in this country. We began to establish what were called poor houses. Anybody hear their dad say to their mom when I was a kid, if you don't stop spending this money, we're going to end up in the poorhouse. I used to wonder what the poorhouse was, but there were actually houses. Uh, I remember I served a church, and the old structure, there was this old structure in the community that was once the poorhouse, where people who couldn't afford to live on their own were sent. And sometimes that was, that was a widow who didn't have the means to support herself. It was, it was, uh, it was a form of welfare back in the day. So here's Anna, and she's living in the temple. Uh, she's 84 years old. She was only married for seven years before she was widowed. So for decades, she is there in the temple with one singular task, and that is to talk about the coming Redeemer, to let people know He is coming, because they are in a time where you have half a millennia, they haven't heard any prophets. The age of the prophets is gone. And when we live in a time where people say, well, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus, and, and, you know, when is God coming back? And so she's there in a time when people, I'm sure, are not listening to her very well. They're, they're not seeing her role as being uh, one that now we honor her for. No doubt she was invisible to many people over the years. Yes, yes, that's Anna. Uh, she just says the same thing all the time. No need to pay attention to Anna. She was marginalized like widows were in that time. It's, it's interesting as you go through the scriptures too to see how often widows and orphans are grouped together. Was it it says in James chapter 1, pure religion, pure religion and undefiled before the Father. Perfect religion is this, that you care for the widows and the orphans in their needs. Isn't that amazing? That if you want to be pure in your religion, you need to care for the widows and the orphans together. The, the deacons, uh, the, the servants of the church, uh, those seven men that I referred to back in Acts, why, were they, why did the apostles feel that they needed to appoint these men? What was it they were appointed to? You see, the apostles are spending all their time caring for the people, and they weren't able to have time to teach the gospel, and so they decided, we need some men to take this on. And what the ministry was, it was a ministry of caring for the widows and the orphans. 
Because widows were basically cast out. And so God takes Anna, a person least among the people of her day, and says, I have a special message for you to share. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I thought about David Copperfield. And you're saying, wow, that's a, that's a jump. Why are you thinking? The, the, the magician. Back in the 1980s, he, he walked through the wall of China. <laughs> it just occurred to me, I'm not going to talk to President Trump about how he walked through that wall because walls, walls work, but anyways. But somehow he was able to walk through, magically, through the Great Wall of China. And then he was able to make a Learjet disappear in midair. He was doing all these disappearing acts, but then he came to the uh, penultimate, the, the greatest disappearing act of them all. He made the Statue of Liberty disappear to remind us of how precious our liberties are and how easily we could lose them. Did anybody watch that on TV? I watched it. Nobody, nobody remember that? 1983. Okay? 1983. Now, what is, what was his trick? How did it work? If you didn't watch it, I'm assuming you're not interested, but I'll tell you anyways. This is how he did this. This is how he made it disappear. If you remember that night, what happened was he, he brought this great screen down, this, this, this canopy uh, or, or drape draping over the Statue of Liberty, and there was a stage here, and people were on the stage, and the Statue of Liberty was right in front of them. And then after a little while, there was loud music and everything, and after a little while, he said he had completed the disappearing act. The Statue of Liberty was not there anymore. And they lifted the drape, and sure enough, there were helicopters up there with lights, spotlights, going down where the Statue of Liberty had been. It was not there. And there were these these great lights uh, uh, on poles going up, and and they were shining in there, and you could not see the Statue of Liberty at all. How did he do that? Here's how. And he doesn't mind revealing his tricks. He tells people, this is how I did it. That stage that everybody was on and that the cameras were on was a rotating stage. They played the music loud so people couldn't hear the gears grinding <laughs> as the stage very slowly, gradually shifted to where one of those big light poles there are so bright, the statue now was behind. The poles had rotated and were hiding the Statue of Liberty. And people couldn't figure out how he did it. But the basis of that trick is the basis of all magic tricks. It's deception. It's deception. I do magic with my grandkids. I couldn't do a magic trick with anybody else but my grandkids. I hate to say it, they are so gullible. And, you know, so, I, you know, I've got something in my hand. And this is my, my favorite trick is just to put something in my hand, something a little smaller than this, but here, here you go. Paper clip. I put the paper clip in my hand. I show it to them. I drop it. I pick it back up. And I say, say, okay, I'm going to make it disappear. And I say, which hand is it in? And I put it up there. Okay. And meantime, I'm saying, is it in this hand? And they look at that hand. And if it was a paper clip, I might just drop it to the floor or slip it down into my pocket or something. And, and they, they go, no. It's, it's, so it's in the other hand, right? No, it's not there either. I do this deception. And it got me to thinking about Anna and her role in this and how does Satan work his magic? He distracts and deceives. 
He does the same thing David Copperfield did. He makes us focus in a place that, where he wants us to focus. So in this life, what do we focus on? Do we focus on a widow uh, who daily is maybe sweeping up the temple and every time she has a chance, she, she'll say, don't forget the, the, the Messiah is coming? Do we focus on the people of power? All around the temple, which the Romans allowed the Jews to continue to worship in there, but everywhere else was the power of Rome. The armies of Rome. The governor of Rome. Everywhere was power. And so the people were distracted by that power. They didn't see the power in Anna, a widow. They didn't see the word of God in her. They were so distracted. And so... In our world today, what distracts us? I referenced the General Conference earlier. It's easy. I've got to remember that right now, Satan, the last thing he wants me to do is focus on God. So why don't I focus on these people over here trying to make all these decisions? Why why doesn't uh, Satan get me so involved that I I begin to get angry at the people who don't agree with me? I begin to get frustrated with everything. I get depressed about the whole thing. The whole time, God is right over here. I've rotated around. My eyes are focused in the wrong place. And God is over here saying, come back. Focus here. All through the New Testament, there is a recurring theme, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in his teachings, that is, is the little ones who can convey to us the truth of God the best. Don't keep the little children from coming from me, because of such is the kingdom of God. They can teach you more about the kingdom of God than all these folks with their PhDs. In fact, uh, there's uh, a few examples of Jesus uh, just a few of many, where he this very theme is part of what he is uh, he is focusing on in Matthew twenty forty six. Uh, it says, while all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, "Beware of the teachers of the law. They lock, they like to walk around in flowing robes, and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets." They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Do you notice the technique here? These men walk around in flowing robes, impressing people, long prayers, impressing people. And then they devour the widows' houses, which means they take the widows' property. We have people today, tragically, in the church who are out there preaching and praying and impressing people. And I've, I've been pastored to some of these folks, some of these widows, who become so enthralled with these good-looking young men on the TV, who at the end of their preaching say, now if you would just send me all the proceeds from your life insurance policies, if you would sell your house. And sell. I, I have known people who have literally bankrupted themselves to support ministries because they were so impressed by all this. This is what Jesus is talking about. He had the same thing in his day. Satan continues to use the same techniques. He, the techniques, he distracts you from God and puts your focus on men and women, I'll be, uh, I'll be fair here, who are out there to deceive you. And it's a tragic thing, and Jesus saw that and he hated it. And, and as, as one of the illustrations of that, it says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Now, where do you think the disciples were looking? 
at the rich putting their gifts. That's impressive. That's impressive. Look how much they are giving. And then Jesus looks and he sees a poor widow who puts in two very small copper coins, two mites. And he says, listen, you guys, Satan the magician has distracted you. You're looking at the wrong place. Over here is the greatest giver. He said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of them gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that that she lived on. She gave it all. And then it says, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with, with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Have you ever walked into a church and said, this is the most beautiful place I have ever seen in my life? When I, we had our Chinese exchange student, we went down to Duke, and he goes into Duke Chapel, and he's just amazed. He loved it. He wanted to go to Duke University just on the basis of that chapel and its beauty. But here's what Jesus says to them. Uh, they're so enthralled with the beauty of the building. He says, you know what you see here? The time is going to come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And it wasn't, it wasn't 40, 50 years later that that temple was destroyed. And what Jesus is saying to them, don't fix your eyes on things that are not eternal. Fix your eyes on God. And that was what Anna, her whole purpose in life was, that when that Redeemer came, when Jesus came into that building, he said, she said to the people, this is the one. This is where your eyes should be fixed from now on. And I wonder how many listened to her. I wonder how many heard her. I wonder how many heard Simeon. And when he prophesied because of the child Jesus. And I wonder how many of us today have our hearts focused upon Jesus. Or is the deceiver Satan? got a hold of us and making us look in the wrong place. I was with somebody yesterday sitting at the uh, uh, meal after the funeral. This will be the last thing I share with you. And they were talking about in their town, out in West Virginia, there were two church, Methodist churches right next to each other. One was a former Evangelical United Brethren church like this church used to be. And the other was the former Methodist church, that, but now they were both United Methodists because we united, right? And 50 years later, they're still in their separate buildings. Each one refusing to move into the other's building. One of them has a newer building, a bigger building. It could easily fit both congregations, but they won't do it. And it's so easy for us to get distracted, for Satan to say, here, look over here, while the whole time... He's pulling us away, our focus away from where it should be. Folks, don't be deceived. When the Annas of this world, when the widows, and we've got, we've got widows in this church who their prayer life and their prayer power and their influence and the way they can uh, teach us, the way they can preach to me sometimes, the way they can inspire us, there's power there. Do not overlook these folks. And just put everything on the people who stand before you every Sunday in their flowing robes. I don't, don't have flowing robes, but who try to impress you. But remember Anna, and remember the humility of God in using the people who he uses. And amen. As we, uh, as we sing our final hymn today, again, I want to thank the scouts. I want to thank their families for being with us. Uh, Remember, guys, in life, uh, as you make choices in life, okay, 
remember that God wants you to make choices that focus on Him, okay? Let Him be the center of, of all of your choices, okay? Very proud of you guys and very glad that you're part of our church community. Amen. And go in the peace of Jesus Christ. Go with His love in your hearts, love for God and love for each other, and be His light to the world this week. Go in His peace and amen.